welcome to All of the Above, where we couldn't decide if we wanted to talk about theology, ministry, anything related to the church and making Jesus known, so we just decided to call this All of the Above. We are glad that you are joining us today. My name is Aaron Markham. I am one of the pastors at Ridgewood Church, not TCGS, not the Church of Greer Station. Remembered that. We'll probably mess that up this Sunday or at some point soon. Joined by my co-host, Trevor. Trevor, how are you doing uh, this morning? How are you, How excited are you about being Ridgewood Church? I'm very excited. I'm very excited. It's been a long time coming, and it's signaling, you know, that we're getting closer to, uh, to moving into the building, so I'm excited. Yeah, that's exciting. We are uh, recording this in Trevor's office, and we see three major dump trucks moving gravel and doing stuff in the parking lot, so we're excited about the work that's being done uh, no here in the building. I just was agreeing with you. Yes. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my back is to the window, but I'm agreeing that it's fun for you guys to be able to see it. Yes, yes. Um, Trevor, my question for you, um, you called me out in the last podcast for liking uh, romantic Christmas, Christmas rom-coms especially, and then I outed myself this past Sunday as I taught on Ephesians 2. Uh, with just a perfect illustration. I mean, it was just beautiful, amazing, wonderful. Um, Trevor, what are you slightly embarrassed by? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed by my Christmas rom-coms, but not, but not really. What are you? What are you slightly embarrassed by that you like or enjoy or have enjoyed in the past? Um, I am very seasonally driven. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm really. Gosh, so the first part's not embarrassing. The second part is embarrassing. The first part is I have playlists that go with each season. I was telling Aaron I have an August playlist that is just songs that remind me of August for for whatever reason. And then I have a summer-spring playlist. I have a November playlist. And then, of course, a December playlist. And so I have these kind of times in my life that are songs that remind me of different times in my life. But I also really like to light candles that have different scents for the different seasons. Um, so that's not something Emily drives. I'm the candle. You're I'm the, the candle, candle guy in our the, house. In the house, I like the I like the smells. That is hilarious. I have some in my office. I mean, the spring one is is used up, and it's almost time to go get the leaves candle from Beth Bath Body and Beyond. I can never get that. Whichever one has the candles. Yeah, yeah. one of um, those that has candles. Bath and Body Works. That's it. Mm. That's it. Um, I uh, I do not love candles. Um, my mom would be able to attest to this because she would burn candles all of the time, everywhere in her house. And a lot of times, you know, like the number one candle lighting thing is always blow it out when you leave the room, and there would just be candles lit in rooms. We always had to have candles at dinner. And I'm just, I'm not a not a major candle guy, except for a nice smelling candle. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, like on a on a Saturday, if you're sprucing up the house, and it's like, man, I can light a candle, and this will, yeah, help everything smell good. What do you, I mean? It. Are you like a uh, like a like a fall leaves kind of smell? Like during the fall, do you like the balsam fir at Christmas? Or? I have no idea. You know, way I don't know the names oh, of man. any candles. So you gotta go with the spring rain. Okay, mainstays the Walmart brand for uh, for spring. That's my go-to. Yeah, Walmart brand. Oh. It's it's little it's a little pathetic. Yeah. Um, that's okay. That's okay. But I, I'm I'm kind of vibey, and it can't be food candles. Like it can't be, it can't be too sweet smelling. You know, it's got to be like the fresh kind of clean smells. That's good. I'm glad we're learning about these things. Yeah. You, you guys are learning about my <clears throat> love for Christmas rom coms and Trevor's love for balsam 
Walmart mainstays scented. The Walmart candles. balsam's not as good. Okay. It's the the okay. spring rain one. The is spring good. rain. It's sorry. the Bath and Body Works Excuse balsam me. fur is the go to. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Well, I don't know how to transition that into what we're actually talking about uh, today, but we are planning to talk about uh, human depravity, and maybe that is <laughs> our transition from. Christmas rom-coms and candles to human human depravity. The the last few weeks, just by nature of where we've been in our um, series in Acts, by what we uh, taught on this past uh, Sunday in Ephesians 2 with uh, what is the gospel and really looking at the bad news in the first three verses of uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So we've just been talking about, about sinfulness, and we've said that you know apart from Christ, we are... The bad guys. We have talked about a verse like Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. Uh, We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that sin deserves uh, the wages of death. So Trevor, my my question for you to, to kick us off is, does all of that mean we have a low view of humanity? We are depraved, we are sinful to our core, I'm just saying all of these kind of negative things, does that mean we have a low view of humanity? I think that Christian teaching on human depravity is actually a statement on our value as a species. Um, We tend to say that depravity equals, we tend to say that to talk about sinfulness and to talk about depravity equals low view of humanity, and I say no. There it is. Great. <laughs> I think that's all we needed to. Uh, so, uh, that's all we needed to say. So, so yeah. Tell me. Tell me a little bit more about that. Why do. You, why do you think that? Well, so this thought occurred to me um, this summer. I was teaching some students, and I taught through five different psalms. And the the topic for the summer was just on identity. And so we just looked at different psalms that were, you know, helpful in thinking about who we were. And the first two that I taught were Psalm 8 and Psalm 14. Psalm 14, you just quoted a minute ago, or you quoted Paul, who was quoting Psalm 14. But I'm going to read Psalm 8 and then Psalm 14. All right, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Which is interesting. Crowned him with glory and honor. The other place glory is mentioned in the psalm is God's glory being set above the heavens. And then in verse 6, he says, You've given man dominion over the work of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So this... The psalm is celebrating God's majesty, saying, you know, you are so majestic, and yet you have graciously made man what you've made him. And then, you know, very clearly evoking Genesis 1, 26 through 28, about Adam and Eve being made in God's image and being given dominion over all of creation. So you kind of have this strong, kind of lofty view of man. That's uh, The psalmist is, like, humbled by how... Um, Incredible, God has made humanity. Mm. Um, he's like, you, you know, you are so majestic, and you are crowned with glory, and yet you crown us with glory. You know, he's humbled by that. So it's kind of a, kind of a remarkable picture of humanity. And then you have Psalm 14, just a handful of psalms later, which says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. 
The Lord looks down from heaven, uh, looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And then you have this like almost equally as strong statement about humanity's um, corruption, that there's none who does good. No, not even one. Mm. Um, and it honestly got me thinking about the only, the only analogy, I guess, that I could think about was uh, Spider-Man. Mm. Um, how, does that, how does that bring to mind sinfulness? Well, what's the, uh, what's the, I don't know if you would know this. What's the Uncle Ben, the famous Uncle Ben line to uh, Peter Parker? Wow, Did you know Jonathan that? just quoted it right there. Did you know you know that? I, uh, I have heard I heard you say it the other day, but yes, yeah. I've heard that. All right, so what is what is it again for those who didn't get to hear? With great power comes great responsibility, right? So that's the whole like that's the core of the Spider-Man character is he's he's got to learn how to use these gifts he's been given for good. He's mm-hmm. got to take responsibility for the gifts that he's given. Um, and, uh, I mean, the story is that, you know, he's bit by this radioactive spider. Maybe I should be embarrassed about this, but he's bit by a radioactive spider. He's given these superhuman, the super, superhuman strength, these, these incredible abilities. And his story starts with him using it to make money. And ultimately, he's, he uses it to make money. It results in his uncle, which is his father figure's death. And he's reminded of Uncle Ben's words, with great power comes great responsibility. And he used, he realized that he'd been using his incredible gifts for evil ends. And that kind of is the genesis of the Spider-Man hero. Mm. And so I got to thinking about Psalm 8 and Psalm 14 and how they relate. And it was like, you know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of, it's kind of a reminder that we have been given all people in, in all places, you know, all ethnicities, male and female, we've been given these incredible gifts. Um, and the tragedy is, is that we've used these gifts, our rational minds, our creative thinking, our capacity for love. Um, we have used these gifts to serve ourselves and ultimately, you know, committed evil. Um, and so when we talk about the evil that we commit, the, like the very fact that we say that we commit evil means it's an affirmation that we have been gifted, that, that we have been crowned with glory and honor. It's an affirmation that we are distinct from animals in the created world and that we have the ability uniquely uh, to do wrong, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about, so uh, Carl Truman, his little book, Strange New World, mm-hmm. uh, was reading that this weekend. And he's, he's got this line where he, he talks about how, a, how only people can be intentional. So he says like beavers, you know, build dams instinctively or cheetahs hunt zebras instinctively. But on the other hand, we make choices that are deliberate, that shape our destinies. And that's, that's in large part what sets us apart from animals, is mm-hmm. that we, we choose to do the things that we do. Right? And so, so in saying that we choose to do evil things, we're actually saying we are these incredible creatures who stand above even the most magnificent of, of the animal world and of the natural world. We, we are unique and kind of created above and beyond these things, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So when we talk about human depravity, it's... Uh, it's, I think it's an affirmation of of our dignity as yeah. a race. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think I think it's it's wrong to say that we have a, therefore have a low view of humanity. And we we, you know, we start. We talked about this the past two weeks. You know, good news starts with bad news. Um, things on kind of the opposite polar ends help emphasize 
the other end. Yeah. And so we are image bearers, kind of first and foremost, Genesis so, and, 1. Well, and some, I'm sorry to interrupt. I no, always do this. Go ahead. You go. You go ahead. No, I always do this. I always interrupt you. Well, it's okay. Keep Be sure you keep in your mind whatever you were thinking, because I'm sure it's gold. Uh, we, are, we are image bearers, um, really on the positive side, and then obviously on the negative side, we, we are sinful, but those kind of equally somewhat play off of each other. Obviously, in a you know ideal, perfect world, Genesis 1 and 2, we only have um, God's image being born out, but I think that the fact that we recognize sin, we acknowledge sin, we acknowledge no one is righteous, means we also acknowledge something is is out there that is better, yeah. um, that is sweeter, that is more right. We acknowledge good, good in its true like essence, not yep. you know if you tell somebody you they look good, you're really saying they look bad. Um, if you tell them they look amazing, you know then you're saying they actually look good. But good in its like formal essence, um, as opposed to kind of bad and, and and evil, they they help play off of each other. I think even like Lewis thinking about. You know the whole the whole premise of um, thinking that that evil is out there means you um, you know thinking there are morals means you believe in a you yeah. know a moral lawgiver. There, there's just um, kind of these these notions that are opposite polar ends that help emphasize each other. Yeah, that's good. What were you gonna say? Uh, well, I was gonna say that I mean, in some ways, you could almost say a gospel presentation looks like good news, bad news better news mm. so good news like the good news is and you, you you don't i mean unfortunately in our day and age we are we are in a lot of ways anti-life and we are anti-humanity um and that we so one of the things i was thinking about and kind of going back to the the cheetah and zebra like we, we would not call a cheetah's attack of a zebra or a spider getting a grass we would not call that malevolent yeah we would call or that immoral or right anything of that murder Wound. in the way we would call it murder way we would think about murder right I mean, we might it might be uncomfortable to watch on the discovery channel or if you're like my kids it's like your favorite part when they when the lions actually take out the elk or whatever i guess i don't eat elk you guys should go to kenya cuz you can watch it live and in, in person yeah um we wouldn't call that malevolent because they're not they're not capable of malevolence they're not you know um, volitional, volitionally, you know, choosing to commit evil. Um, they're not inflicting suffering kind of with the intent of inflicting suffering. Mm. Only we are capable of that. We're mm. capable of inflicting suffering mm. uh, in, in really big ways and in really small ways. Um, really big ways, like, you know, creating nuclear weapons or, or, or whatever, um, and in really small ways, like saying the thing that we know will... Press our yeah. spouse's button. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we stand apart from the animal world in that way, that we're, we have that capacity, mm-hmm. capacity for morality. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and that's the good news um, that we can, that we almost need to start with. And especially in our day and age, I mean, I, I do suspect that we have culturally a low view of humanity, kind of ironically, that we don't, I think, properly um, think about what the image of God entails and what that actually means that we're capable of. And so it almost begins with the good news. It's like, no, we are different from the rest of the world. We are, we, we have dominion and we're crowned with glory and honor. We're, we're above and beyond all of these things, you know? Mm. Um, 
But then it's got to go kind of down into the bad news. But the bad news is, is that we use these incredible powers for evil. We inflict suffering on large scales and small scales. But the better news, you know, the, the really good news is that Jesus came both to, you know, die so that we could be forgiven for that evil and for that suffering we inflict, but also to restore those powers, to like, to take them from supervillainy and to restore them to heroism, we mm. might say. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's really impressive what humanity is capable of, both, both good and bad. Um, and so, I mean, I'd say we have a, we have a high view of, we have a high view of sin because precisely because we have a high view of humanity. Wow. Um, that's really helpful. If that makes sense. Why do you think we are resistant to teaching on human sinfulness in particular? Why don't we like it? It gets us a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I think, so this is a little bit paradoxical, but I think it's because it reminds us of that first good news. So if there's the, if, if we're going to go with the good, bad, better, um, the, it reminds us of the first good news. It, it actually confronts us with the fact that we're living beneath what we ought to be. Um, we're living less than human lives when we indulge in evil and sinfulness. Um, and so I think it reminds us of that. And there's a, there's a sense of, uh, it kind of confronts us with, a, with the squandering of our abilities. And I think that's uncomfortable. Um, I think that's part of it. I think, uh, we, I, don't, I think we just don't like that. I think it, it demands us to acknowledge that we're not the gods of our own existence. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it also forces us to just reckon with the fact that we have done and do wrong. And, uh, you know, nobody likes to admit they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think we, we, we like to be, like to be in the right. It's hard to, if we talk about sinfulness, we are by definition talking about what people are doing incorrectly, doing wrong, not holding up to the standard and kind of our whole notion in our culture in this day is to kind of be right, be the best, do really well. And it's almost, you know, I'm I'm even thinking about, you know, pastoring and it's, almost in many ways we're just recognizing that we're the, we we should recognize we are the greatest sinners mm. in the room now hopefully yes we display fruit hopefully um we are loving our wives and our children well and we're showing humility but i think there's there's almost this as we grow in our knowledge of who god is and who christ is we're almost going down equally to recognizing man i am really way more depraved than i thought i was i had super obvious sin when I first came to know the Lord and it was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta stop saying those words. I gotta stop doing these things. And those, that was super important. But then more and more, I'm just being revealed at how wicked my heart is. Um, and so it's asking the Lord to, to help us and to work in us. And I even remember, um, you know, kind of early on in, in some of my teaching, like really, I, I never heard, I don't think growing up, like I am, I am sinful. I am choosing um, hmm. those things which are which are wrong, and you could go you can go to too much extreme, but it's like I I want my kids to recognize I am sinful, their mother is sinful, and they are sinful, and we are all sinful. Um, that's going to look different ways at different times, but I don't want it to be you're a good little girl, you're a nice little girl, and uh, but again, I don't want the opposite of just to de- destroy them in their sin which is why we may be resistant because you could just, you could wreck somebody um, over just 
making them feel the most, most guilty for their sin. And obviously Christ has offered righteousness, and that is our yep. hope, and that is our ultimate final place of, of rest. Um, so there's kind of just a constant, constant tension between the good news and the bad news. We need both. We need both to kind of keep pulling at each other, um, but it's easy to be resistant yeah. kind of to teaching on how bad you are because that doesn't sound very fun. Um, how do you think we should respond to teaching regarding our sinfulness? Yeah, so if you're a Christian, I mean, I think the first the first thing to do is rejoice just knowing that uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you've repented and believed and you've been baptized, you're walking with the Lord, rejoice knowing. Like, take a deep breath first. Okay, I am I'm not condemned in Christ. If you're not a Christian, I mean, we would say repent and believe and be forgiven. Um, so if you're a Christian, the first step is to, you know, delight in the forgiveness that you're offered in Jesus. But don't stop there. Um, I think the second thing is to be honest about your malevolence. And I, I heard some, uh, it was it was a group of people, a couple of authors who were talking about virtue ethics. Um, and I can't even remember the setting, but one of the things that they said was important for us in, in terms of growing in character was that we need to make it a habit to use morally thick language to talk about ourselves. I think the way we would say that is to use scriptural language to talk about ourselves. So instead of saying things like, I messed up, you know, I'm broken, um, I slipped up, whatever, to work to see your sin as evil and describe it as evil. This is sin. I lied. I deceived you. You know, use the morally thick language to, to describe our actions to make sure that we are properly speaking about, you know, the, the sins that we've committed so that we can, you know, plunge deeper into the relief that Christ offers us. Because if we, if we kind of piddle in the shallow end with I'm broken and I'm flawed and nobody's perfect, yada, which is all, which is all true, th- that makes the relief of what Jesus does only go so far. But if we say, I am, and, and I think this is the truth of each of us, I am crowned with glory and honor. I have, I have lived beneath that by doing evil by taking God, the rational mind and the soul and the abilities that God gave me to worship myself and my appetites. Then when we say Jesus forgives us, it's like, holy cow, like what kind of grace must Jesus have to forgive me, you know? Yeah, so, so I'm as weighed in the deep end of, of your sin. Yeah, use morally thick language to think and talk about it. And then just the last thing is just ask God to make you good. Like, I, I, like Jesus, help me to use these Spider-Man abilities for good, you know? Um as he did. Um. And I do think, you know, there's probably times and seasons to wade in our sinfulness and to really like, yeah, morally use morally thick language. And then there's times and seasons where you're just under the weight and the condemnation and the guilt of your sin to preach Christ and him crucified that he has, he has paid it all. And, And there can be, we probably all have a tendency towards one or the other yeah, that's more good. so. I think one of my questions for reflection from this past Sunday was, you know, which is just easier for you to comprehend, the good news or, or the bad news? Yeah. And it might be like, oh, I just, I know how terrible I am. Um, you know, I'm, I just kind of wade in the bad news all the time. Um, or, you know, only wanting the good news, like don't want to talk about sin too much. I remember, and, and so being okay with different seasons coming, I remember when I first came to know the Lord, at Furman, I was in a Bible study with with some guys, and we tried to we worked on memorizing Romans eight. Um, I don't know if I got through it all, but it popped in my head when you just quoted Romans eight one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
you may be in a season of needing to just preach that to yourself, like hmm. under the guilt and yeah. the weight of your sin. You are not condemned if you are in Christ and you have called on Christ. But then there's also going to be a time and a season to say, my sin is really great. Even still, when I follow Christ, my fruit is not as fruitful as it could be. The fruits of the Spirit are not um, revealing themselves as much as we would desire. So we want to to pray, to repent, to really be honest about our sin, use brothers and sisters around us to um, confess and, and ultimately confess to God and let his word work in our hearts. Yeah, it's excellent. Good word. Cool. Well, thanks, Trevor, for, for joining me uh, and talking about sin. We hope you guys have been in- encouraged by this conversation, and um, we look forward to uh, you joining us again here soon.